And welcome back to another episode of Space and 60. I'm your host, Clint Grauman, and our co-host, Chad Baker is here. And we're missing Andrew this week. Andrew had a few things on the home front that he needed to take care of. So we're missing our perky Canadian colleague. Thruster. Thruster. <laughs> but we'll make it through without him somehow. Well, yeah. And one of us will have to pick up some maple syrup and see if it works for us Americans as well as it does for the Canadians. It'll help us bring the energy for sure. <laughs> Today's guest on Space and 60 is Awais Ahmed. Awais is the CEO of Pixel. Pixel's building a constellation of Earth observation satellites, hyperspectral, to be uh, extremely precise about it. And, you know, Awais is one of the, the young leaders in the new space industry that, that I really admire that he's done so much in such a short amount of time to bring Pixel from an idea to a company that's that's doing amazing things. It is fun to see, um, I hate to say it, kids so young, <laughs> just the way it feels, bring these ideas to life, you know, from the beginning and now be so close to getting their own engineering into orbit. It's fascinating. And the idea of what he's building with the constellation of hyperspectral satellites, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a, a game changer in the Earth observation space. Absolutely. It's a, it's a data set that a lot of people have used from fixed wing and other other data that's out there. And it's extremely powerful. Yeah. But you know, the ability to get the data at scale and use it, it's it will be game changing. It's it's going to be an exciting one to watch. In electro-optical, the push for the last five, 10, maybe even longer uh, number of years has been to get increased resolution, more resolution, and pushing to the highest resolution possible. And you know, although that's important. There are so many things we can learn from the spectral signatures of the data as well. And when you see what can be accomplished with hyperspectral versus multispectral or even just a, a few bands, it's it's incredible. It is. And I think a lot of the machine learning and AI that's going on to be able to extract the information from these pixels that may not be as visual where it was all the high resolution, as high resolution as you can get to visually interpret the data be able to use some machine learning to extract everything you get from the spectrum and, and how you break that out. There's a lot out there and, you know, young entrepreneurs and just extremely bright people like a ways being able to take this to the next level is, is going to keep growing the, the industry and what we can do with EO data. So it's an exciting time. You know, and that's a, that's a really good point, Chad. 10 years ago, even when we thought about an earth observation company, it was all about the data and bespoke services around that data are doing some sort of human in the loop value add to the data. But as we see AI and ML applications really make their way into the industry, EO companies, earth observation companies are no longer just about the data. It's about how fast you can process, how well you can process, how far and how fast you can move the data, how quickly can you get it to the ground. And it's changed so much. It really has. And that's that's one of the keys with data because data is always that single point in time on the ground of what it is and how quickly you can get that data, view the data, extract the insights from the data, whatever is from that point is, is key. Seeing all the companies that are doing it now, is it's unbelievable. Going from the days of loading tapes onto a reel 
and you know <laughs> downloading or catching it on the plane as it's dropped from orbit. Yeah, it's nuts. When I started in the business, we had satellites that were collecting data. We'd bring them down, and it was on tape, like what you're describing. And our business was in an old brewery that had been converted into a um, an Earth observation business. And someone physically had to go downstairs in the bottom of the brewery, get a tape, bring it back upstairs, run the tape, process the data. And sometimes we would send it out on hard drive. And we were lucky if we could put it out on FTP. And today's business is like a way is, is building. You've got hyperspectral imagery that will be covering the entire Earth every 24 hours. And that's just a constant stream of data. And if you had to actually do that, go grab the data, process it manually, and send it out, there's so many things that wouldn't be possible today. And I think companies like Pixel that are building based on AI and ML capabilities, you have to question, are they, are they earth observation companies or are they tech companies? Are they software companies that earth observation data is really just the input, the proprietary input? And I think the face of Earth observation is is changing. It kind of dates me to getting the hard drives and writing hard drives. We would like have 350 gig size. I think that was the largest one we could get. And all weekend, we'd work through the weekend, just moving them around, plugging them into any workstation we could, creating deliverables. And it was it was a job on its own. It was wild. Yeah, it's it's definitely changed so much. And we need leaders in the industry that are up and coming like a ways to help push the envelope, change how it's done and make the world, make the industry a, a better place. And so I'd like to say, welcome to the show, a ways. Welcome to Space in 60. Now we realize this is probably the highlight of your entire week, probably <laughs> been waiting for this for all week, but we're excited to have you here. We've been thinking about it all week and we can't hear, can't wait to hear about what all you've been doing in the industry and everyone out there that listens to the show, they already know what we do. So I thought we'd take a minute and get a little bit of an introduction on your background, what you do, how you got into the business. Thanks for having me. With regards to, to my, my journey and, and what we're doing at Pixel, the first and foremost thing, like a lot of kids, I love space. I remember that love first started when my dad used to get me these encyclopedias about space and a whole bunch of things. But the ones regarding space really stuck reading up about the universe, the black holes and what's out there. Like a lot of kids was fascinating. I grew up in a very, very small town. So we didn't even have access to telescopes or things like that. So that was something that was always of a dream for me to be able to get a telescope. Uh, but that never really materialized. Thankfully, in 10th grade, um, somehow the school that I was studying at managed to get uh, one telescope on rent for this event called the Transit of Venus. Um, and that was the, the only event that was going to happen this century. And looking at Venus passing through the sun through that telescope, I think, you know, that cemented that love. There were two experiences uh, in college that I think was really instrumental in what led to Pixel. The first was being part of the student satellite team that was working with the Indian Space Research Organization. So the scientists that had worked on the remote sensing program for ISRO were working with the students at the college to realize a microsatellite that they would then launch for free. So my love for space now had an outlet where I could actually work on the engineering aspects of what it takes to build hardware that can survive in space. That was the first experience. 
And then in my second and third year, I was one of the founding members and engineering leads at Hyperloop India. All of us in space know about Elon and you know, SpaceX. And when Elon and SpaceX, they resurfaced the idea of the Hyperloop around 2015, 2016, they built a one mile long vacuum tube at their headquarters in Los Angeles. It was an open challenge to teams around the world to build a Hyperloop pod or a vehicle that could travel at really fast speeds within that tube. We got to work. The, the The motivation to start off that team was to be able to get to meet Elon, frankly. And then we were surprised that we got through the first design stage that was there. And then we kept getting through the other stages. And finally, we were one of the 20 finalists out of uh, 2,500 global teams that had applied to the competition. So now the challenge was how do we convert this design to something that actually works, a hyperloop pod that no one had built before. Thankfully, uh, as, a, as a team of 30 undergraduate students, we were able to manufacture it, transported it all the way to Los Angeles at the SpaceX headquarters, showed it to Elon and the rest of the team. So that was the steepest learning curve. Uh, although it was not really space technology, working on hardware that needed to work in vacuum brought the same stringent conditions. And my roles also include along with looking at engineering and manufacturing, trying to raise sponsorship, doing marketing for the team and a whole bunch of other stuff. So it was a very holistic learning curve up until that point. But while we were in LA for the competition, they took us, the SpaceX team took us on a tour of the factory that's there. So looking at those rocket engines being built that would actually go on a Falcon 9, the Falcon 9 booster that had first landed back on Earth that's when I realized on August 27th in 2017 that I want to work in space tech for the rest of my life. Came back from there, back to college, looked at different ways in which, you know, the space economy uh, as a whole was moving and different areas where I could contribute. Looked at things like asteroid mining, in-space manufacturing, but a whole lot of that were out of bounds because those required a lot of capital. Um, as a student, we could, however, work on existing sources of satellite data that was there, be it Sentinel data that was open source, or be it some data set from companies uh, as well that you could obtain for free, use cloud credits on Google Cloud or AWS or Azure to be able to analyze this. Um, so we got started on that, but that's when we realized that existing data could be so much more better. Multispectral data from space just didn't cut it. So we said, you know, I think there's an opportunity here in that if we could build a better class of imaging satellites that would provide a data set that provides much richer detail, uh, we could be in business. So that's that's how the, the story of Pixel began. So did you get to meet Elon though? I got to shake hands with him. I don't think he'll remember me, but uh, <laughs> I got to shake hands. With him. <laughs> that's awesome. But you get to check that box. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's, he's truly one of the great leaders of our time. And we're in a time in this industry when we've got basically three Howard Hughes living at the same time with Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk. They're all of the, the Howard Hughes caliber, but we have them all at the same time. And I think you're, you're really fortunate to have had the opportunity to meet Elon. Yeah, I love that story. And one thing that sticks out to me too is just you have that date, which I absolutely love. Like you mentioned the date, August 27th, and that was like that tipping point for you. That's that's just so cool. Yeah, that was the standing right underneath that Falcon 9 booster that, that they had first managed to, to land back on Earth. Wow, that's great. You founded Pixel and you're building satellites. One of the, you know, one of the things I love about the new space industry is the opportunity for bright people to just strike out on their own and make it happen without having to spend 10 years at one of the the major defense contractors or work their way up through a space agency. Someone that's got really great ideas, is really bright, can start out in new space and start something basically from zero. Did you do that by yourself in forming Pixel or how did that come together? 
that's a indicator for a industry actually taking off as well right so when you look at what bill gates and steve jobs were able to do after dropping out they did not really require phd's or any experience to start those companies and space is at a similar stage you don't really necessarily have to have been at a space agency or a large space uh, prime for you to then start a new space company which is amazing right we have the internet uh, we have linkedin where we can reach out to anyone anywhere in the world learn from someone that's doing something else so it was really a function of the times and you know how how it has progressed so when we started it was just a lot of googling and trying to reach out to people that were experts in the field to say hey you know we're trying to do this can you help us out with your learnings the internet is a wonderful place you know i've come to realize you can sitting in a dorm room in in india i was able to um, reach out to folks uh, in the us people working with nasa with european space agency set up entities in different countries around the world in india and the us as well right so i think that as a barrier has really is not really a barrier anymore secondly i think when we started uh, we were a little naive in the sense that we didn't realize how difficult it would be to actually raise money to do that which is a good thing if you are naive and you don't really know how tough it's going to be and you and you get started on that keep pushing through you eventually end up in a place you know where something works it took us quite a bit of a time initially to raise the funding that came from it i remember we were still in the fourth year of our undergraduate studies when we started the company and all of my savings had gone into prototyping what was there and uh, there was not a penny left in terms of uh, what we needed to do but thankfully college alumni had this event in silicon valley where the people that had made it there came together once a year to you know catch up and network and it also had a pitch event thankfully pixel was one of the startups that got selected there turns out we were the only ones that were still studying that were pitching there as well so we came in uh flew in all the way to you know silicon valley to be able to present to these folks and we didn't have money to be able to fly there as well we convinced one of the customers that we were working with to pay for the ticket 3 days before the event flew out a day before and then actually managed to pitch but i think the initial bit of money came in from our alumni because they thought that you know if by some chance even though that chance is very low this works out it's good for the country it's good for the university uh, so the major chunk of initial money was philanthropy rather than actual investment um that's what got us started but i think once you're able to show some level of traction both commercially and technologically that you you're you're not only talking about it you're able to actually execute it the previous experiences don't really matter i've been watching your your story unfolds on platforms like linkedin and how your business has been developing and one of the things that i've seen is that through your journey that you've been able to make connections to some pretty high profile politicians, business people, technology uh, leaders, both in India, in the US, around the world. Tell us about how that's helped your journey along. What things have happened that have really helped launch your business to the level it is today? Yeah, so I think those networks and connections uh, are a byproduct of the work we have been doing rather than the other way around. Let's start with the US, right? So I think one of the first things we did as soon as we graduated was be a part of the Techstars uh, space accelerator that was happening in Los Angeles. So they brought in other companies to be part of the program as well, organizations like JPL, like Magzar, uh, Lockheed Martin, and others. Talking to people and telling them that this is what you're looking to do and this is what the big aim is. The people actually are very quite helping in the sense that. they then connect you to people that they think are valuable and then those people connect you to uh, other folks that are valuable one of our investors ryan who you guys know fairly well as well he was connected to us by a friend of a friend that we knew from techstars you know we were actually able to bring him on board as an investor as a board member as an advisor uh, a mentor to what we are doing as well so it's it's those kind of things where people give it forward that are sort of helpless there 
on the indian front you know thankfully we have been able to get real good backing from the prime minister himself the department of space and that's i think a function of being at the right place at the right time when india opened up the space economy to the private industry just last year in 2020 we happened to be uh, one of the few companies that was actually working on hardware that could go to space in the next few months and uh, they wanted to actually have success stories coming out from the private sector as well to to say that private companies out of india can can do this as well and i think yeah, just a function of make sure that you're doing your work demonstrating things on ground and when you do reach out to the people and they see that you've actually executed some things they're more willing to take those meetings one of the great things i think about the new space industry too where it's not quite the old space everybody wants everybody to succeed and you know there's all this new tech going up so it's how can we help each other out and how can we progress and keep moving forward and not necessarily stall or do anything but those, but help each other. And, and it all comes around to, it's a big industry, but it's a small industry uh, as far as yeah. you know relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's so many things that are happening in new space. No one can keep a tab of all the things. So people just tend to help each other out and figure it out along the way. I also saw that you were involved and I actually don't know the connection, but how much you're involved with the Indian Space Association, relatively new organization. And I see with such an incredible space program in India, we're starting to see the new space economy build up around that, starting to get government support. So what are you all doing with uh, the Indian Space Association? Yeah, so the Indian Space Association in itself was coming together of uh, both old age and new age space companies to say that we need a unifying voice for the industry to move things along on the policy front and how the government in India can sort of help the private sector take off. As you said, ISRO has been maybe one of the top three, four, five space agencies in the world for the past few decades in terms of their launches, in terms of the other satellites that they've sent up. But that has not been utilized by even a single private company. And all the private companies that are currently you know, working today have, been, have only come up in the past few years. That's just because it was not an area of priority for the government where they said, I think, yeah, you know what? The Indian Space Research Organization itself could handle things. But then as we saw success stories come out from the rest of the, the world as well. You could see SpaceX doing things that you know a space agency would have taken years to do otherwise. You could see you know, the European Space Agency funding a whole lot of other startups in Europe. It became a necessity to essentially make sure that as a country, India didn't left, get left behind, especially because of the heritage that was already there. So when that opened up, then it was a, is a matter of you know how we have already lagged behind. Now, how do we leapfrog other countries to make sure that we're able to you know catch up on the cutting edge of technology? So that's that's how it came to be. I think it's a little late in coming coming there in a country that has that much of heritage, but better late than never. And thankfully, a whole lot of things are being put in place, you know, remote sensing policies, space transportation policies, which are quite liberal compared to a whole lot of other countries as well. And space as it's as a by its very nature is global in how things are approached. Once you send a satellite up there, there are no country boundaries that it adheres to. So there needs to be collaboration between different agencies, um, you know, which, which there has been, and now there needs to be things on the private side as well. So I think it's, it's good times. I agree. Where do you think that that's going to go as an industry in India? You mentioned that it's a late start, but I think it's been a late start around the world. Like We all should have been embracing this much sooner from a commercial perspective, but where do you think that's going to take the new space economy and companies like yours going forward? Yeah, so I think I see this mainly with two types of technologies that countries will need, right? One is 
indigenous technologies that they would require within their own country bodies to make sure that they're not falling behind other countries. Each country would want their own fleet of Earth observation satellites to keep an eye on what's happening. Each country would require its own rockets to make sure that they're able to launch space hardware, not depending on a third country to do that. So there's going to be things that each country requires, which are very critical for it strategically. And then there are things that will require collaboration across multiple countries. No single country could do it. When you're looking at the Artemis program in terms of having a sustained human presence on the moon, yes, NASA is taking the lead on there, but to actually make it a hustling and bustling economy, you need to be able to bring in other countries. And, and they've done that already. You can see Japan contributing there. You can see the European Space Agency contributing, even with the International Space Station that required coordination between multiple countries. So there's this book by, uh, Andy Wyatt, people know him for the Martian, uh, but he's also written this book called Artemis about uh, a colony on the moon. And it, there's an interesting idea there where an African country essentially became the mediating party to say that we'll work with multiple different countries to set up something where all countries can benefit from it. I don't think how, that's how it'll actually take place in the real world, but it will require multi-country coordination to actually make sure that if you have to move beyond the confines of the, the lower Earth orbit, uh, here on earth it will require contribution and cooperation between between countries so that's that's where it's going there will be a bifurcation companies working solely for national security and strategy and then companies working with other countries to realize the larger vision of the space economy i also like to think about one of the topics that we, we spoke about very early in the conversation was how you came right out of university and created this program and this business around Pixel. What type of advice would you give for young people coming out of university? I mean, I think about my first job right out of university, and it sure wasn't launching satellites into space and building them myself. What advice would you give to those people that are coming out of university and have ambitions to to start something like this? Yeah, so I think the, the first and foremost thing is explore as many things as you can during your college because that's what the time is for until you find one or two passions that you want to devote the rest of your life to or at least uh, quite the next few years to. They also need to marry to the trends that you are seeing in the sense that you need to be at the cutting edge of technology. One, I think figuring out what is it that you would actually love working on for uh, the next decade or so and then seeing whether that actually tallies with where the industry is going. You need to start working on something that will be valuable in the next five years, not something that's valuable today because things tend to change very rapidly in the technology industry. So I think that's, that's the thing. Once you have explored things that you want to do and then you have figured out that this is what I'm excited to do waking up every day, then it becomes a lot more easier. And then the rest of it is just getting started. There are a lot of reasons why people can you know, take a step back and say that, you know, this is not ready or we would need to wait out for certain things. As there's a saying, right, to the begin is to be half done. So once someone gets started, the momentum itself sort of sustains you and, and gets you there. So uh, I think that would be the advice. Figure out what you love and just get started on, on that. Let's get started. I like it. It can't be all perfect. Like, is it hard running a, a space company at such an early part of your career? It is. It is. Uh, as Elon Musk says, it's like eating glass and staring into the abyss. Uh, but it's not quite <laughs> that bad. <laughs> there are times when, you know, you there's a lot, it's a lot of responsibility when you're running a company. You have other folks that are banking on your company to succeed, whose daily livelihood depends on you 
making your payroll their family's livelihood depends on you making your payroll so it brings with it definitely certain responsibilities and and when when cash starts to run out which it has in our case you start to sort of worry about them that you know okay it's, it's okay that you know i i am in an age where i can take risks and if i don't get paid for uh, a few months or so you know i can maybe you know step back up and do something else but it's not the case for a lot of other people so it does come with a responsibility when we started out as, as students not a lot of people took us seriously as well we were able to get a lot of meetings because you know a bunch of students working on something like launching satellites into space got us into the meeting room but then in the meeting room converting into something that we actually wanted not a lot of people took us seriously they thought that it was just a student project that we were doing and this was not something that we were going to stick with that we had no idea what we had gotten ourselves into things were going to get a lot worse but you know every day when my co-founder i or the team wake up we know that we're working on something really cool space technology that will actually go up there and work so that gets us going and when things get tough just you know take a step back and and keep knocking on one or the other doors or windows and see which one opens because uh, after a while it will um there have been a couple of times where we were you know almost out of money in the bank account and could not make payroll but thankfully uh, almost at the edge we were able to turn it around and and get it there that's going to be the case with any startup it doesn't have to be a space technology startup for that matter so things are definitely tough it's not all rosy uh, but at the end after you have gone through that and see hardware realized or hardware going up to space it makes it all worthwhile that's say it's got to be so exciting thinking about all the work that you put in and this journey that you have with the team that you built and with your friends and family and getting the chance to launch something into space that you built and kind of the baby that's got to be an unbelievable feeling to kind of wake up every day and and kind of see that coming along yeah yeah it, it is like a baby <laughs> um, actually you know to go from design to be able to realize the first hardware is uh, is actually 9 months for us so it's actually the the right amount of time that it takes to get a feature so we like to think of our satellites as our babies but yeah as, as you rightly said things get tough but then at the end of it as long as you can can see the finish line or the light at the end of the tunnel it makes it worthwhile the difference between running a business I'm I'm a business owner as well so I can relate to this. The difference between running a business and having a baby is that you're the one that wakes up in the middle of the night crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a nice observation. <laughs> I don't have babies yet so I can't uh, I can see that yet but uh, yeah, I can I can I can confirm on the business part. <laughs> yeah. With having so much success as you have so early in your career Is that something you've found a challenge as well being accelerated to the top and not having to start at the bottom in the mailroom and working your way up stage by stage have you found it challenging to going from 0 to running everything and being super successful and traveling all over the world have you seen that that's a challenge or have you been able to just take it all in stride I wouldn't say firstly that we have been super successful at all I would consider as partly successful if we're able to put uh, the first two of us athletes up there so that said i think it's been a fun journey till now for sure it has not been i don't think it was ever a handful or a, a tough job sort of you know running a company we went from having five full time folks before covid to having a 35 member team now that we have all not met uh, in person at the same time so we have definitely grown rapidly but i think in the end um, it's about keeping things simple uh, it might be trivializing certain things but in the end it's about you know common sense how how are you actually going to deploy your money how are you going to run it i don't think that has been an issue at all in terms of running a company there are issues that come with fundraising with customer conversion with technological glitches that come in for sure uh, but in terms of running a company on a day to day basis i don't think that's that's been a challenge 
maybe that will change when we are actually successful after launching the satellite but for now it's been good good journey for now I love the way the that you bring the humility to the the role of of CEO if the listeners at home could see your bookshelf behind you they would see the book good to great and i think that's one of the key aspects of that book is talking about great leaders that they come to the table with a very tough approach but also a, a humble approach at the same time and that definitely comes across in the way that you present yourself and and lead your company so you may present a bit of humility on the amount of success you have had so far but anyone that can present their ideas clearly present a vision to both the team and the investors and convince them to give you millions of dollars to realize your dream that you discovered as a very young person that says a lot to your success as well absolutely just being too kindly thank you <laughs> So with the team that you've built going from 5 people to 35 during the pandemic what do you think has been the most challenging thing as a leader in scaling up that team I think it's just finding really really top quality people to come into the team um and that's a philosophy that I happen to share quite stringently with Elon in the sense that fill your team with the absolute best people possible even though you might have to pay them more or you know it's going to take time to get you there um, which also brings with it challenges because once you hire someone and you know that they have not actually been they're good engineers but they're not great engineers that really need to fit in a team it becomes a little bit of a hard job to actually go to them and say that hey look i don't think this role is is right here so i think that's been the biggest challenge finding people with the right skill sets in space tech uh, but also someone that can fit into the culture and at the same time are really really good at what they do the the whole function of what we're doing here is that no one has the requisite knowledge to do exactly what we've done before that uh, the point of a startup is to be able to push boundaries we need people that can come in and learn new things and then really step up to the roles that they've given as well because there's no time to be wasted slacking and in case you know one person starts lagging off after a few chances then i don't think it's just a fit there in that case it's not that they're not good people or good folks to hire it's just not maybe a fit with our company so i think making sure that we have filled our company with the best people possible for each role and then trying to move as fast as possible has been the biggest challenge when when you're working in an industry like space the amount of time it takes for you to start something and realizing something is much much longer than a software app for example where you can really churn out features on a weekly basis right so keeping team motivated and making sure that at each point in there no lagging and the speed of execution is still fast those would be some challenges i can think of the top of my head well i will say your comment about people slacking off i've worked with many companies with organizations in India and I can honestly say I've never had one person from India that worked with me slack off you guys as a company you know as I've talked to several people within your company are the hardest working individuals I've worked with Chad and <laughs> <laughs> joking I, I don't joking. know what that's coming from <laughs> <laughs> joking but you know I I think that you're absolutely right that finding the right people to get them in the right role Sometimes it has nothing to do with the quality of the individual or the work it's simply the role that they're in as well and you know I'd say that with the space program that has been built in India I think you guys have definitely developed a large pool of talent within India to foster a new space economy and for anyone that hasn't been following the new space economy in places like India and Scotland and non-conventional places where Americans would think there's a great up and coming space program you're sorely missing out because there are such great programs all over the world that are going to from a commercial aspect 
probably in many cases eclipse much of the work that the new space economy is doing in North America as well. Yeah, I think the, it, it's important to find the right people, but also important to let the wrong people go um, as soon as you know that. I realize that keeping them on in the hopes that things will turn better just seems to add to the delay. It's it's tough to do, but then it's it's something that needs to be done. Absolutely. As business owners and managers in the new space economy or any economy for that standpoint, many times those people that are in the wrong roles or you have to let someone go, it's a relief to everyone because everyone's been working so hard with the pressure to to meet the needs of the role or or something. So I, I think that that's a great insight. And I'm still amazed at the amount of insight you have early in your career. About to say, I, you're years younger than me. I don't want to say how many, but it, <laughs> it is great to see. And it's very exciting, especially, you know, the speed that you're moving with and uh, the composure that you have and what you've built. And it's just, ex- it's exciting to keep it going. And it's infectious for what, what you get and kind of talking with you. Yeah, sadly, I turned 24 last month. So I don't think I'm a young founder anymore, sadly. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're making a lot of our listeners cringe. Away. <laughs> I feel a little older now. I don't know. <laughs> so. You've got a lot ahead of you in in your business and your career and your journey in this this industry. You know, as we're getting close to the end of the time for our our discussion here, it would be great to hear whatever you can share, where Pixel's going, what you guys expect in the coming months, the coming years. Yeah, tell us about the business and and where it's headed. Yeah, yeah. Some of this might seem too far-fetched or too science fiction, but that's also because I tend to uh, love science fiction quite a bit. But there's a step-by-step plan and you know scientific backing to that. The first, the, the next three years or four years for us is the singular focus is for us to be able to send up some of the best Earth observation satellites that have been sent up and make sure that a really high quality of data set can be sent out to organizations around the world for use cases in agriculture, forestry, government, urban monitoring and whatnot. Uh, what we want to be able to build in the next three to four years is a health monitor for our planet, wherein we're able to see how things are changing, monitor problems, and even predict things so that we on ground can take better action to make the world a better and sustainable place. So that's for the next four years, I would say. Beyond that, we want to be able to work with different space agencies to be able to send out small satellites with Earth obs- with remote sensing instruments to map out the solar system as well. And that's because exploring the solar system right now is a very, very expensive job. And we send out probes with billions of dollars of money spent into it. It usually takes years to go there and we're only able to you know, focus on a few bodies at a time. But if you're able to democratize that by working with space agencies to say, hey, here we're going to send out 50 or 100 of these small satellites to every corner of the solar system, that gives us a better idea of what our surroundings are as well. And at the same time, we plan to expand uh, our arsenal of Earth observation data, as well as what we're providing to folks on ground. It's not enough for organizations to just have access to data. They need to be provided with the tools that are required to clean up this data, to make sure they're able to manipulate the data, to give an insight that they want. So I would say we want to, right now we are in the lower Earth orbit. We want to expand both outwards towards space and inwards towards the Earth. Inwards towards the Earth is by providing more tools and bringing data sets that can actually help us take better decisions. And outwards towards space is just better understanding what's around us by working with space agencies uh, to bring down the cost and uh, just make that exploration much faster. Is there one problem that really motivates you every day? One problem that if you could solve that, you could just say, I'm done. I figured it out. I've achieved what I wanted to achieve in life with my system. 
Is there one thing that really gets you going in the morning that you want to solve that problem? I don't think there's one problem after which I'll, I'll hang up my boots, but I do think the most important problem to solve would be the climate change and how we are essentially polluting the earth. And that could include by starting with monitoring of how things are changing with our satellites, even you know carbon capture technologies, or even terraforming if things don't really work out. The one thing I've realized is that the human species is has always figured out a way to make sure that we as a species have continued to live and we'll do that with climate change as well. So I think that's one problem to be able to solve as we try and get heavier industry of earth into space, how to actually keep this one beautiful world that we have, right? So I think that's one big problem I think we have to solve today, but I don't, there's always more problems to solve. I don't think I'll, I'll hang up my boots just yet. <laughs> Good. I think we're all better off for it. It's been great. You've shared with us a lot of your time today, Ways. We are Speaking across time, it's quite late where you are. It's also the back end of a holiday. So we're so thankful for the time that you've given us to tell us about your business, your journey in this industry, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Awais. Thank you for having me. The pleasure has all been mine. So that was great hearing a ways and just the passion. I, I love the fact that he can go back to the exact day that changed his life where he was sitting at SpaceX headquarters under the rocket and knowing this is what he wants to do. I mean, hearing that and that passion is just great. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty cool. He, he refers to him simply as Elon. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's on a first name basis with Elon. Well, once you shake his hands, you do have that piece. You, you enter know. the club. Yes, you, you have been in the Elon Club. It's hard to underestimate how much of an impact that people like Elon Musk have had on the business and on the industry and have truly pushed things forward and revolutionized them. And the leaders that we see out there today in the business that are starting companies like Pixel or they're starting companies that are launching satellites to precise orbits and small rockets, medium rockets, getting these things to just the right places. I think it's all pushing the envelope in the business, pushing prices down, the cost of building a satellite has certainly gone down. I think our first satellites that we built were around $20 million, and that was considered super cheap in the day. And now you see people putting up pocket-sized satellites, microsats, all the way down to a satellite the size of a partial CubeSat. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about, especially with Pixel, like hyperspectral, which is, I mean, that's an intense data set. That's a, a pretty serious sensor that you have there in nine months to put it together, kind of the baby that they're talking about. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really looking forward to seeing what type of problems can be solved with so much hyperspectral data. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think one of the, the exciting things is figuring out all of the problems we can solve with so many bands. I mean, hyperspectral bands, I'm not sure where the line's drawn between multispectral and, and hyperspectral, but when you start getting into the hundreds of bands and the possible combinations of all of those things, the I think the possibilities are are endless. Yeah, I really think it is the tip of the iceberg just from the, the Earth observation side and remote sensing. A lot of the climate change issues and questions that we have now, there could be answers in this data set into how we attack those and how we address those and kind of move forward. Yep. I'm excited to see where Aways is going with his business, where hyperspectral is leading and new space in all the different parts of the world as, as well. And for today, you know, I'd like to say thank you to all of the listeners out there that have tuned in to hear Aways and, and his story. And we look forward to having you back in a future show. And Chad and I hope to have our buddy Thruster 
also known as Andrew Polipchuk, back on the show as well. Everyone have a great one. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space in 60, where new space speaks. Space in 60.